everybody, and welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Max Madden, once again filling in for Rob Werner, who is visiting a friend in New York. Guys, how are we doing today? I'm much warmer than Rob must be right now. It, it feels so off with you in that chair, Max. Well, that's not bad. Yeah, it's all right. Okay. Anyway, we'll uh, that, was, that was staff writer Jack Harris and site publisher Chris Carmen with us today. So we're going to dive right into it. We got a we got a lot of stuff to fit in this podcast today, starting with uh, ASU's recruiting situation. Uh, so as Chris was explaining before the podcast, from November 25th until December 14th, ASU coaches can make home, in-home visits with recruits once a week, and the head coach, Herm Edwards, can only visit each recruit one time ahead of the start of the early signing period, which begins on December 19th. Now that is when uh, we expect ASU to sign the majority of its recruits. Uh, Chris, you had a board post talking all about ASU's presence in California, and you also put up for our members a list of ASU's top 10 targets. Can you talk a little bit about what's going on over there? Right. So basically, um, the, with, the, with the period starting uh, in a few weeks from now, like just less than three weeks, uh, ASU is trying to put the finishing touches on its early signing period, which is now replacing what used to be uh, – in February, the, the, the signing period last year was the first year of the early signing period. That was a transitional situation because Ty Graham had been fired. Herm Edwards was coming in. Uh, so there was a lot going on that was a little bit chaotic this year. Things are really starting to settle down quite a bit. ASU sitting on 16 commits. Uh, I know that it, it, it's 17 actually on the board, but really it's 16. If you want to know why, um, you can actually join us in the double sanctuary and we'll explain. Uh, one of the guys who's actually on the commitment list still is not going to actually be signing with ASU. The coaches are trying to sign more than 20 kids in this early signing period in December. I think that number could be as high as 22, 23 maybe. There's going to be some announcements. Even as we're recording this today on a Friday, um, there'll be some breaking news uh, within a matter of a few hours with some some additions, we believe. Uh, so if you listen to this afterwards, that 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 commitment number is going to be going to have grown probably by then. Um, I think ASU is going to, uh, as I said, add maybe six, seven kids more uh, between now and when the signing period starts. And we put up a list of ASU's top 10 targets with some information about each of them um, that people can check out uh, on the site as well. That was published uh, late Thursday evening. Uh, Most of those guys are defensive recruits because ASU was a lot further ahead with commitments on the offensive side. And there's some big-name guys that they've been visiting. Herm Edwards was in California uh, this entire week visiting guys. They've had as many as seven assistant coaches who have visited uh, multiple uh, recruits in the state, some of the names that ASU is really on that I think people are aware of. Jaden Daniels, a top uncommitted prospect uh, in in the country, is is uh, ASU's on heavy quarter quarterback prospect. Oh, what did I say? Just prospect. Oh, quarterback. <laughs> yeah, quarterback prospect. Uh, there's also Stephon Wright and Drake Jackson, who are t- two four star uh, defensive linemen that ASU is pursuing. You have Noah Pola Gates, who's the top target that ASU's on probably in the state, uh, who's uncommitted, uh, and then a handful of others. Uh, the Markham twins, uh, Keon and Kwan, Kiwan Markham, uh, who were at Long Beach Poly, which is where Antonio Pierce coached before he came to ASU to be linebackers coach. So there's a, another handful of names. You can really get all the, the, the details on that by, by just uh, coming on to the Devil Sanctuary. Now, is there a limit on the number of trips to Fatburger the staff can take together? <laughs> um <laughs> 
I mean, that that's all part of the that's all part of the California love kind of thing, right? Like today was a good day. Ice Cube made Fat Burger famous. Um, yeah, I think that that there's probably no limit, Jack. Sorry. <laughs> All right, moving on to our next piece of news. Nikhil Harry, uh, ASU junior wide receiver, declared for the NFL draft on Monday. Chris, you wrote another article about the wide receiver personnel uh, that ASU has following Harry's departure. Can you uh, briefly touch on that? Well, so obviously Nikhil Harry is one of the best receivers in ASU history, probably uh, the, def- the the very best in recent decades. Um, so that's a, that's a big hit. Now, ASU also... Uh, has everybody else who was among their top receivers returning next season, a group that includes, of course, Kyle Williams will be a senior. Frank Darby uh, will be a junior next year. Brandon Ayuk had a couple hundred-yard games in the second half of the season as a junior college transfer. He'll be a senior. Uh, and then there's others, including uh, Ryan Newsom and then Jordan Porter, who redshirted this year that we think is is poised to, to step in and be in that top you know, five or six group of receivers next year. The challenge is replacing that X position, the boundary side receiver uh, between Frank Darby and Brandon Ayuk. The probably one of those guys can play there. Jordan Porter also has a chance to be able to play there, but that's going to be a hit. And I, I provided an analysis of what each of these guys presents from a scouting standpoint and their overall profile uh, transitioning into next year in that post that you reference. Uh, and then ASU, of course, uh, finished season seven and five, and will be going to a bowl game. Chris, how much can you tell us about what your sources have been telling you? And- well, so everyone this time of year sees all these projections where all the teams are going to go, and the most commonly mentioned for ASU would be the Sun Bowl, the Las Vegas Bowl, the Red Box Bowl, and uh, the Cheez It Bowl, right? Um, ASU was in the Sun Bowl last year. The, the conventional wisdom is that. Uh, is that teams you know, maybe aren't going to be as likely to be in that in the same bowl for a second year in a row? Um, I, I think that um, our reporting is sort of crystallizing today around what bowl we think ASU is going to be in and what ASU thinks it's going to be in. I'm reserving that information just for our members at this point, but there is a very sort of clear idea of where ASU is probably going to be, especially if the Cal-Stanford game goes a certain way. So if you want to get the latest on that, uh, of course, uh, that's going to be announced on Sunday. Um, so just a matter of a couple days. All right, guys. Uh, the Territorial Cup, of course, last weekend with ASU beating Arizona in a miraculous 19-point comeback by a final score of 41-40. to We've now had almost a week to reflect on it, to watch some film, uh, you know, to, to dive deeper into the game. We'll start with you, Jack, because uh, Chris got a lot of airtime at the beginning. But, you know, what have you learned about that game from your analysis of the past week? A lot of things had to, A, go right for ASU in the fourth quarter, obviously. Um, but Arizona also made just a lot of really kind of boneheaded uh, plays in that in the final 15 minutes. They weren't doing the, the whole first part of the game. Um, I think a good example is Khalil Tate's interception. Um, it was the kind of play that earlier in the game where he escapes the pocket and him and his receivers improvise and they connect on a big play. Like if you think back to that first drive, Sean Poindexter got behind Chase Lucas to set up Arizona's first score. Well, in the fourth quarter, Cleo Tate ex- expects Sean Poindexter to, to continue his route. Poindexter cuts it off. Tate throws a, a, a pass into traffic and it gets intercepted. Um, they had the, the the fumble on the handoff, which when you – you go back and look at it, it just looks like, 
you know, that's that's something that should never happen, just fumbling a handoff exchange like that. And yet, in the most important moment of the game, pretty much they do. Uh, and then on that last drive, Arizona missed on a couple passes where they had receivers who got behind uh, ASU's secondary on, you know, two or three chances. Um, and then they played conservative at the end to, to try to get a little bit closer for the field goal, and it backfired. Um, so there was a lot of stuff ASU did right. Um, yeah, and I think another interesting point, if Arizona kicks both of its PATs earlier in the game, it's not just like you can tally the points at the end and say, oh, it would have been going to overtime or something. But Arizona would have had a 21-point lead. And I look at that first field goal ASU kicked early in the fourth quarter. If they're down by 21 as opposed to 19, I doubt they're kicking a field goal there. I'm betting that they're going for they're going for it on fourth down trying to score. And that's just, you know, it's just those little things that when they pile up um, – I mean, obviously a lot has to happen to overturn a 19-point deficit in the fourth quarter, um, and, and it pretty much did for ASU. There weren't many plays in the fourth quarter that they either failed to execute on or that Arizona did well on. I'll always remember this game as the biggest choke job that I've seen in Territorial Cup history. I've you know, probably watched 25 or more of these games at, at this point. Uh, Arizona just collapsed. There's really no other way to say it. The um, Some of the improvisational plays that, that worked well for Arizona earlier in the game and earlier in the season failed them. The, the uh, interception was the biggest one. Uh, I think Arizona did get a little bit too conservative earlier in that quarter. ASU put together a nice drive uh, to score the ball at the beginning of the quarter. Arizona got a first down running the ball, you know, continued to run the ball, then had to punt. Um, but it, it was the turnovers, the missed field goal. Uh, and, and ASU, as we know, has been really good in the fourth quarter throughout this year. Danny Gonzalez, the defensive coordinator, has said time and again, the team that plays the, long, the hardest, the longest is going to win. Uh, just the fact that ASU had the buy-in and wherewithal to con- continue to play hard, uh, throughout that when the opportunity presented itself and kind of dropped in their laps, uh, they took advantage of it. It wasn't just that Arizona gave the ball up twice in their own half of the field. Uh, you know, Benjamin had a, the very first play from scrimmage as a touchdown. Manny Wilkins is is making plays, running all over the place. Um, Nikhil Harry is blocking for guys uh-huh. on back-to-back plays, including that, that touchdown run. Um, so... ASU, to its credit, uh, never really emotionally checked out of the game in the way that I think, even though it was a rivalry game, could have happened at some point in down when, you, when you're losing by 19 points. Uh, so I'm going to remember that. And then there's just kind of there's you know small missed opportunities throughout the way or, or little plays like Rennell Wren making a play on a third down that a lot of people wouldn't have been able to get to that kept a couple more minutes on the clock. Um, you know, maybe if he doesn't make that play, everything else that happens is different. There's a bunch of plays that are kind of like that, or Kobe Williams not getting his hand in to, to, to bat down a ball late on a thing that could have been a touchdown, or Khalil Tate having an overthrow on a route that went all the way across the field and got behind DeMonte King. There's just so many of these little plays, and this was a game that was is really just difficult to sort of sum up in any kind of a way but that's that's the territorial cup chris you you mentioned that you're always going to remember this as the greatest choke job uh, that you've ever seen but how are asu fans going to remember this season as a whole given the fact that uh you know the sun devils were able to win this game well 
there's no doubt that this was ASU's worst three-quarter stretch of any game this season. Mm-hmm. So it's ironic that um, that they had their worst game, quote-unquote, in a lot of respects. And had they played, you know, that last five minutes differently, had that last five minutes gone differently and Arizona wins the game, ASU fans have a really sour taste in their mouth right now. Um, six and six losing the last two games of the season after an opportunity to win the South that slipped out of their hands a week earlier. And part of that was, a you know, maybe a questionable call, but they just didn't play a very good game overall at Oregon. And then to lose at Arizona, it would have, it would have, it would have been a very different feel of a season and not because the six and six record would have been that big of a surprise. Cause I think universally people like we all thought as a staff, this was going to be like a six or seven win type of a team. Um, but just more so in, in, in the way that it, it was going to be perceived and then the, and then recruiting momentum and just the energy of the program, all that stuff when you beat Arizona and you celebrate the way that you do after that when you're fans, it, it just really changes the, the, the psychological perspective of uh, how the season is viewed. Now we're going to move on to a brand new segment here on the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. It's called Are You Surprised? And what's going to happen in this segment Wow, always. How come we didn't get sound effects with that, Max? I, you know, maybe we can put them in in post. Okay. The people will know if we did or not. So I'm just going to state, I'm going to ask you guys each uh, each thing that happened during this season and you just give me a yes or a no because uh, we got a lot of other st- stuff to get to. But are you guys surprised that ASU finished the season with seven wins? Not surprised. No. Not surprised. I thought... It was over under was six and a half, and it was really six and a half all the way to the <laughs> final minutes. So, yeah. Uh, are you guys surprised that ASU played in nine games decided by a touchdown? Yes, that is surprising. Very surprising. You had to think that ASU would have gotten blown out in uh-huh. in one or two games this season that it, that it didn't, and probably would have. I would have thought they would probably would have won a game or two by more. Eno Benjamin had, of course, a season for the ages. Did that surprise you guys? Yeah, all that amount of production. I mean, I picked Isaiah Floyd as my surprise player before the season. That that didn't happen. So <laughs> while I did think that he was a better running back than ASU's options last season and should have gotten more carries, there's no way that I had the prescience to believe <laughs> that he was going to go for you know 1,600 yards, which he'd probably end up with. Uh, the offensive line was very good at not giving up sacks uh, this season. Were you guys surprised in the way that the entire line was able to play in terms of pass protection? Not super surprised. Like, they were pretty solid last year. They added the, the grad transfers who worked out. Um, uh, so, mildly surprised, I'll say. I think that's a good way to characterize it because you do have a new offensive line coach, a new coordinator. Some of those things are, are can be challenging. And ASU hasn't been good in that area uh, in the last five or six years. So, to have such a reduction in their number of pressures and sacks allowed, I think, was mildly surprising. While the defense was up and down this season in terms of the way that it was performing, overall seemed to have improved vastly from last year. Did that amount of improvement surprise you guys? Yeah, because the personnel, even though the scheme was different, the personnel wasn't wasn't that different. Um, the biggest difference is you had a bunch of inexperienced guys on the field and they were still able to play well. So, yeah, pretty surprising. I think that's borderline shocking development. Um and maybe that's part of that is just being conditioned to watching ASU give up so many points and yardage in recent years and the shell-shocked nature of that. But um, when you reflect on this season, 
ASU wasn't even giving up more than 30 points in almost any game except for, what, like two games, USC and then Arizona, right? Um, that's like, and that's Oregon, like, too. Oh, and right. Oregon. Yeah, uh, yeah, 31, right? So um, that that's, that is very, very unexpected, yes. Now, Herm Edwards did tell us uh, as reporters and the fans before the season that there are going to be a lot of freshman players making an impact on defense. But by the end of the season, there were five freshmen starting on defense and two freshmen that were leading tacklers for ASU. Was that a surprising development for you guys? Um, I'm not super surprised. I, I think I'm more surprised by like the guys it was, like Cam Phillips and Tyler Johnson, for those two to be starting. Um, I don't think you would have seen coming at the beginning of the year. But it seemed pretty obvious through fall camp that they're going to have to lean on young guys. That's how it played out. Yeah, exactly. By, by the end of August, you knew that Merlin Robertson and Darian Butler would be up there in tackles and – and play a lot and be heavily relied on. I like Jermaine Lole. He was like my surprise freshman pick that I thought, um, you know, and by the end of the year, he was maybe their second or third best defensive lineman, arguably maybe even their best, I guess. But um, Ashari Crosswell, you knew they would throw out there and he would get a lot of reps and have to learn on, on the go. But just the, the totality of it, to have five or six freshmen all playing at the same time, uh, and almost all of them except for Tyler Johnson, true freshman, given how good ASU performed overall on that side of the ball, uh, that's that's shocking, actually. And one more thing with a lot of those guys, those are all guys that Herm Edwards and Antonio Pierce recruited once they got hired last year. Like, those weren't really Todd Graham recruits for most of them. And that's going to really sell well t- in recruiting. The the You have these guys with NFL backgrounds, and they're having this type of success with freshmen. Other people are going to see that. And they're going to be like, okay, that 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 makes sense to me that I can go and be a part of that. And then the final final round here of Are You Surprised? Jalen Harvey switched uh, from defense or from offense, sorry, obviously to defense and finished top three in tackles this season for ASU. Was that a surprising development? I'm surprised how well he handled playing the Tillman spot. Um, that he was good enough in coverage and then also just so dynamic uh, in run defense and making tackles. Uh, you thought that there'd be, especially after spring ball, that there'd be some breakdowns with him. And really, he was one of their, their more sound, solid players on defense. Yeah, he's a very tough, physical type of a kid. I knew he would bring his energy and enthusiasm. I, I, I thought that he would have more breakdowns that would be costly to them. Nobody thought that he was going to end up playing this type of a role, just um, given that Tyler Wiley and Daz Tauralatasi and were ahead of him and Evan Fields was maybe on a similar plane when they started out camp and but it just kind of fell into his lap and he made the most of it and now we're going to move on to our award section and our analysis of each position uh, so we're going to start on the defensive side of the ball we're going to go with the defensive lineman if you guys could give me just a quick recap of how you thought the unit performed as a whole and then who was the most outstanding player within it um this was probably their most inconsistent unit throughout the year especially with the physicality aspect of it um, I think Rennell Wren was the best player from start to finish, although Pac-12 play, especially the second half of the year, I think Jermaine Lole might have been just as good and just as consistent as Wren was. I think that ASU staff overvalued its defensive line throughout the year a little bit more than it should have. Uh, Rennell Wren did have that you know, sort of average stretch through the middle of, of league play after looking great in the non-conference. Uh, I think they expected more from Jalen Bates, who I always thought was going to have some challenges against the run because of his pad level and, and how light that he was. 
Uh, I think that their move of George Lee to an end position was great, and that that worked out well. And um, and then the versatility that that um, that he has next year, along with Shannon Foreman and Jermaine Lole coming up is going to serve them well, but they need to replenish that group next year also in the recruiting. Uh, now moving on to linebacker position, I'm sure that there was probably a clear favorite for MVP here, but what did you guys think of the unit as a whole? I thought it was good. Um, I mean, their biggest probably trouble spot uh, was pass protection and, and some of the zone coverages with the young players, but they were good against the run, I thought, um, for you know a three-man unit that didn't have the devil backer or specific pass rusher. I thought they did a good job generating pressure on the quarterback anyway. I mean, obviously, Merlin Robertson was just such a, a revelation this year for them at outside linebacker. Um, it's a good year, and I think it's better just when you look at it and see how promising that group is and how much better they can get over the next couple seasons. I've never seen an ASU team that had three freshman linebackers be its starters in most of the the season. Uh, and even though we knew that Tyler Johnson was extremely talented, uh, his boomer bust factor was as, as – uh, as wide of a, of a possibility as anybody on the roster. And, and it still is, but he really started to show up. Merlin Robertson is everything that they thought he was going to be uh, as ASU's top recruited prospect. And Darian Butler, even though by the end of camp, it wasn't necessarily the biggest surprise what he did this season. He was the biggest surprise from a signing point to what he actually was able to do on the field. And you have to give a lot of credit to Antonio Pierce uh, and Danny Gonzalez for what they were able to do with that group. That when you ha- when you factor in that Stanley Lambert is as talented probably as any of them, they are poised to be extremely good the next two years. And now in the secondary, uh, you know, I'll just say right away, Chris, Kevin, and I all have Kobe Williams as the best player in the secondary, but Jack has Demonte King. Can you explain your reasoning behind that, Jack? He was just so good against the run for them most of the year, and that was such an area where they've struggled in years past. Um, I thought he was also playing in a position that had less depth than the cornerback spots did. Um, Kobe Williams was good, but he also had his breakdowns at times too. Uh, I thought what DeMonte King added to the middle of that defense in the middle of the field was something that they just hadn't had in years past that really stood out. See, I, I think when you look at the performance of this defense, when the corners were really good, it just changed everything. Like that Utah game stands out so vividly because Kobe Williams and Chase Lucas probably had their best games of the year collectively, and that was a tremendous uh, defensive performance. So that that's why I went with Kobe Williams. Now, unless anybody objects, I think we're going to name you know Benjamin and Nikhil Harry as the best running back and wide receiver on the team. Shocker. Yeah. Okay. And then a most outstanding freshman player. We also have a consensus here, but if you guys want to talk about who you have. Uh, <laughs> Magic Merlin, man. Yeah. I mean, his stats this year were crazy. Since 2005, he's the first ASU defensive player to lead the team in tackles, tackles for loss, and sacks. It's just to be that versatile around the field and, and some of the stuff he did was pretty outstanding. We've talked about this before, but when he missed the first half against Oregon, mm-hmm. the Ducks had 10 explosives and um, or chunk plays. And in the third quarter, Ducks had zero. And that was a difference between a senior, J.J. Wilson, playing, and granted he had missed the previous six weeks or whatever it was. But Merlin Robertson, to me, was probably their defensive MVP this season, mm-hmm. despite being a true freshman and certainly the most important linebacker. And now other areas of defense, the defensive scout team MVP, guys that you know fans really don't get to see a lot of, uh, but we do at practice. So can you guys talk about who you picked 
uh, for that award. Uh, Stanley Lambert, I think um, it's a guy who uh, played a little bit this year. There were some high expectations, didn't really translate on the field, um, but has a lot of potential going forward. His, he's really kind of bulked up a lot with his big frame um, that we've seen from when he arrived at the beginning of fall camp or preseason camp until now. Um, another guy, though, that I think he, he was injured at times this year uh, during practice, but Nami Tuitu, uh, the Utah State transfer, uh, a nose tackle, who I think could uh, factor into what they do moving forward next season. Pretty easy call that Stanley Lambert, is just, his potential is really high, as I said earlier. And then everybody but Kevin uh, has Jordan Porter as our offensive scout team for MVP, who was there. Jordan Porter was like one of the guys who was there early every single day that we were there at practice. Yeah. Uh, Kevin has Jarrett Bell. Could you guys maybe quickly touch on why you think Kevin might have selected him? Well, Kevin loves linemen <laughs> in general. So, but but look, uh, the center position is really important, and ASU's whoever replaces Cole Cabral um, eventually probably will be a two, three year, maybe even a four year starter, and. I, they they really liked Jared Bell, ASU's coaches, and so maybe he has that potential. I think. I don't. Did I skip over offensive linemen? Yeah, we I didn't. Think it did. Okay. Yeah, did. So who do you guys have for your, for your best offensive lineman? Uh, Quinn Bailey. I gave this a tie to Quinn Bailey and Cole Cabral because I just think that I wasn't trying to hedge, but ASU usually will have one or two um, of these that end up being split, and I think that's that's the most likely one. Now that's also kind of. Um, it's unfortunate for Casey Tucker because I think Casey Tucker was extremely important to ASU success this mm-hmm. season, but just because he was hurt and banged up and missed some more action, I, I didn't go with him. We also we didn't talk about the uh, offensive MVP. Who you got? Well, that's that kind of is interesting because because you, you could go with three guys, everybody the big three. I think that I would split it between. Eno Benjamin and Manny Wilkins. I just think that if you don't have Eno Benjamin this year, you lose two or three more games. Yeah. And also you lose two or three more games if you don't have Manny Wilkins. At least. Yeah. At least. I, maybe, <laughs> maybe you don't even win more. a game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Wilkins, you can say some of his production went down, but he's he's going to set career highs in, in yards per attempt. Uh, he's probably going to set career highs in touchdowns with the bowl game. He's going to have a low in interceptions and career high pass rating. It's not that he had some like great season, but he had a good season and didn't turn the football over. And the drop off it was just so stark to anything else that they would have had. <laughs> uh, and you, Chris, you mentioned Manny Wilkins maybe being worth two or three wins for this team, but you also said earlier during or more. Right. You also said earlier that Brandon Ruiz is probably worth the same amount to this team in terms of a win win uh, standpoint. Well, there, there's just certain things that you take for granted at, at, if you're a fan, and that's like just making 35, 40-yard field goals. And just given how close a bunch of ASU's games were that it won, just decided by, what, a field goal, I just think that that's, uh, that's a pretty safe one. And, and you know – Kevin had Michael Sleep Dalton. I think you, yeah. Jack, you had Sleep Dalton too, and he pinned opponents very, very well. But he didn't flip the field well, and that's kind of the trade-off. Then defensive MVP. I'm pretty sure everybody had Merlin. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on to the academic achievement award. We like to model these awards after ASU football's year-end banquet, which they're having on Sunday. Um, 
so now we have these these next couple awards. Who do you guys have for academic achievement? I'll give it to to Manny Wilkins. He's in the law school. I've seen him at the Starbucks on campus in downtown Phoenix before. Uh, so yeah. Um, you know the the obvious choices are Kyle Williams and Nick Ralston. They're both really high academic achievers. Uh, honors college. Are they both in the honors college? Kyle Williams may not be, but they're Kyle both. Williams is. He okay. might as well be. Then they then they both are. And he took human event. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he, whatever. Manny Wilkins is also a good a good call too. And finally, the Iron Man Award. So to be so, this is for weight room performance, as we understand it. Because if it's on the field, I'm going to give it to Eno Benjamin for like to take that many carries. Um, but if it's in the weight room, Rennell Wren is just so far and away a physical specimen beyond everybody else on the team it seems like so um i'm not sure of the exact definition yeah it's kind of vague of the award i I think that you want to give it to somebody who shows up on and off the field is you know in every way that is possible and and has a good buy-in the strength staff loves renell wren other people love renell wren so i and he's also the strongest pound for pound guy on the roster probably so i went with him all right, so we're going to move on now from football and transition to basketball. Arizona State is 6-0, and the last undefeated team in the Pac-12. They have the sixth longest non-conference streak, uh, win streak in the Pac-12 at 19 games. Uh, of course, they in, in history. Well, since 1996, which okay. is as far back as Stats, stats Inc. In the history of Stats, Inc. Uh, of course, ASU also won the MGM Resorts uh, main event. Uh, a couple of wins against Mississippi State and Utah State. Uh, but there are some issues for ASU moving forward. Remy Martin, uh, Rob Edwards, and Mickey Mitchell are, are all dealing with injuries. Uh, Chris, could you give us a quick update on where you think that those guys are at? Well, Bobby Hurley said that they're day-to-day, but let, but let's just be realistic. Uh, Rob Edwards is clearly battling a multi-week injury. Backs are also tend to be chronic problems, so we don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, Remy Martin has clearly been playing through a sprained ankle for the whole season. Bobby Hurley said a high high ankle, a high ankle sprain, sprain, which right. is very bad. He seemed to be limping, you know, to me, even like watching him walking around. Um, so that's something that's going to probably persist. They didn't play him. I think that's more precautionary because they're trying to get him rested a little bit more before you play Kansas and then a little bit more rest and then you have your, your league games. Mickey Mitchell, he's had toe and back injuries on and off. He played earlier than anybody expected this season. I personally don't think that he's going to end up in the top eight rotation anyways when all is said and done, when they are a full roster. But I think what's important to say, Max, is that ASU is undefeated despite these things because of Mm -hmm. the depth and talent that it has on the roster due to the best recruiting that we've seen probably at ASU uh, in, in a generation. And, um, and then, of course, the strong play of, of Luke Ensdort. Uh, has, has this start, a 6-0 and start with a handful of impressive wins to go along with a few blowouts, has that changed your perspective on the season, Jack? What surprised me is how they've been able to rely on Lugan Stewart as a freshman to really – like he's carried their offense for the most part this season. We wrote about this this week. Only R.J. Barrett among top 40 recruits last year, uh, as of Monday – uh, it was taking a higher percentage of his team's field goal attempts, and, and Dort was making his shots at a much better rate than Barrett was. Um, you know, because he's a guy that, especially after the first couple of games, he seemed like he could get out of control sometimes, would force some shots. But that with his performance in Las Vegas and, and their wins over Mississippi State and Utah State, 50 total points, one NCAA Player of the Week, 
for them to be able to to have a freshman who can play on the ball in the backcourt, who can score, who can set other guys up, he's fitting in well into their system. Um, that's key. And then to see Kamani Lawrence, uh, his shot and his shooting ability, and Tayshawn Cherry, what he's been able to do the last couple games. And then, of course, Zylan Cheatham and, and, and everything he provides down low. Um, just the parts they have this year um, are very good. They're so good on the glass, which I think is going to help them stay in games. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think after the first couple games, there was some reason to worry. Uh, but the, the way they played in Vegas and the way they've played in some of these easier games since then lends you to believe that they're going to be able to pick up probably nine or ten non-conference wins and in a week Pac-12 have a very good chance of getting to whatever you need, 22, 23 wins to make the tournament. Um, yeah, I think they I, – I thought they maybe would have lost one game to this point. So before the season I said 20-ish wins. I think maybe now you're looking at 21, 22 wins. Um, I still think that they'll, they'll probably have a setback or two here in the non-conference when you have Nevada, Georgia, Vanderbilt, Kansas. Um, two five, so it's a that's tough two strength. top five teams. Yeah. And only like, one of those games at home. Yeah. So – um, you know, especially with their injuries being what they are. We don't know if, you know, they're going to have Remy Martin and or Rob Edwards for some of these games. Uh, the, 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 the challenging thing here is just, as Jack said, the how soft the Pac-12 is. Uh, does that mean that ASU emerges from that as the best or second best team and in a way that puts it to a 12-6 and six or better record? Or does that mean that they're going to really just beat each other up? And you end up seeing like a bunch of teams between 11 and 7 and 7-11. I actually think that, that the latter scenario is really, really plausible. Which is kind of what happened last year. Especially because because of the fact that uh, these teams, they play a lot of zone and ASU shooting the ball is going to be kind of hit or miss probably. Um, I'm struck by how different of a team ASU is stylistically from last season when it was so reliant on the shooting and now it's really a team that clamps down uh, limits second chance opportunities owns the glass better defensively although not in the first half against uh, Omaha (laughs) but um, but yeah I I think overall they're probably a little bit better than I anticipated but not so much better given some of the other broader challenges that it that it, it projects them to be much better in the win column than we had thought preseason. And ASU basketball's next game uh, is on Saturday against Texas Southern, who a team that beat Oregon. And so, Baylor. They beat and Baylor, Baylor at the beginning so, of the season, too. Uh, of yeah. course, follow and they along. they lost every other game. <laughs> yes. Well, they play all their games they, on the road. They're every crazy program. Well, well, because they need that to... to got to get the money. Got to get the money. Anyway, follow the site and Twitter, of course, for updates on that game as it approaches. And uh, follow the site for all of Chris's recruiting updates and the bowl projections that we're going to have for members. Uh, But for for today, that's just going to end it. For Jack Harris, Chris Carbon, and your host, Max Madden, thank you for listening and have a great day.